Welcome to the Offshore Accountant Podcast. I'm Nick Sinclair and this is the go-to podcast if you're an accountant and looking to set up and build a high-performing offshore team for your accounting firm. Here you can learn how to complement your local efforts, grow capacity and deliver more to clients than ever before. Hear from experts who have done it already. Let's go. Ed, give us an overview of your team structure, your local team, your offshore team, how many team members you've got, how long have you been in business, and just a bit of an overview of your business. Sure. Um, We've got about 160 staff around Australia. I started just from home, looked the business up from home, generally found that you you, you hit a point where you've got to change what you're doing. I did that over the years and got to a point now where the business pretty much runs by itself. And I haven't sort of worked in the business now since uh, 2001 when I was around 42. And it just runs by itself. I come back for a board meeting once a month, you know, and I work on the business and not in the business. And it pretty much works really, really well. Uh, the outsourcing piece is a, a big part of that, um, Nick. And we found over the years that there's various different types of outsourcing and, and we've done it all. So I've been doing it for about outsourcing for about six years now, um, Nick. You, we tried you know, all the different types. And if I could just uh, spend a, a minute or so and just, just cover off on um, the different types of outsourcing, if that's okay. Yeah, no, um, definitely. Yeah, so we, we tried uh, project-based outsourcing, which is uh, like you pay by the hour. The problem we found with that was that you know you get someone to do your work, and and no matter how experienced they are, you, you still got to you got you still got to spend time training them because of the idiosyncrasies of your particular client situation. You spend time training that particular person up, and then when the job's done, you know they go off and they do somebody else's work, and you get something someone different. So that the investment, if you like, of the training that you put into that person, you you lose it. So it's more of a a band aid solution. I, I call it a, a P and L play. It helps you smooth out the, you know, the bumps in your workflow, but it's not an investment into a balance sheet because you lose it uh, every, you know, every time you train that person, the person's gone. And it's a great band-aid, but I think to build a sustainable business, uh, you need to invest in your balance sheet. We found that hiring your own people um, is much better because um, you, you hire the person, you invest time and money and effort into that person you know, they stay with you and next year you get the dividends from the investment that you put into that person. And as they say, Nick, uh, the two biggest assets of your business is your, are your clients and your staff. You really need to invest in your staff. And as I say, it's a, it's a balance sheet play as opposed to a P&L play, which is a, a quick fix. Uh, the, the project-based ones is a quick fix, uh, what I call a Band-Aid solution. You um, get the work done e- economically, but the investment is gone because you get somebody else that you've got to train up again the next next year. Yeah, I really like that philosophy and, and I think that too many businesses forget um, the importance of their people um, and the people producing the work for the business um, and they often see employees in some cases as a liability um, as opposed to being an asset and particularly the way that they manage um, and how they look after their teams in, in a lot of cases they're, they're more like liabilities not um, assets like you talk about so I love I love the language that you use around that so and let's talk a little bit more around the Chan and Ala group so obviously you've been in business a long time you've got a lot of staff in Australia spread 
across multiple locations. What type of clients does Chananayla service? Do you have a niche or is it just um, a general type of, of client that you'll take out? Um, it's just, just general type clients, but um, we, we obviously um, look after SMEs, um, but we also have a particular leaning uh, towards um, uh, property investors and SMSFs, um, but predominantly uh, compliance. Um, you know, doing tax returns, we we uh, we think that that's a really good business model to to uh, to work with because um, you know I often say it's not not illegal not to go to the dentist, so it's not illegal not not to service your car, but it's illegal not to do a tax return. And how good a business model is that? And the government drives it to your door, and all you've got to do is just do it efficiently, and um, and it's as close to an annuity income as you can get. And as long as there's tax, you know, the tax in the country. And the population is increasing, like it is in Australia. The compliance pie, the tax compliance pie, is actually increasing. We get hundreds of thousands of immigrants uh, that are um, a, a, um, a skilled labour that come into this country. And um, you know, every time we bring people in, they add to the to the economic activity of the country, and then they need their tax returns done. It's a great business model to to be in. And the outsourced um, staff. Is a, is a very, very major part of that of business model. That's great. You're 100% right with the whole compliance. I mean, there's a lot of talk across the world around compliance is dead and automation and AI and technology and all these other things. But the reality is, is legislation's constantly changing. Accountants are always going to be needed. Um, and, you know, you don't have to pivot and go to the business advisory like a lot of the software vendors are, are selling that message out there globally. Um, so, Ed, we're going to talk a little bit about setting up an offshore team and what were the motivations behind the Chan and Naylor Group doing this. So, can you explain, to give our listeners a bit of perspective, you coach and mentor all of the firms that are part of the Chan and Naylor um, network. So, that's obviously part of your role is, is coaching and working with your own firms. But then outside of that, I know that you coach and mentor and give back to the industry um, and, and you currently have group of clients that you're doing that with and I know that offshoring is something that you are always talking about uh, having that asset pool on your balance sheet with your people. So what were the motivations behind Chan and Naylor Group getting into um, offshoring and building a global team as well as obviously the advice that you give to a lot of people that you mentor and coach? Yeah sure, um, every business, um, Nick, no matter what it is, um, we run a business obviously and um, Every business has its uh, challenges, and in accounting, it's, you've got clients who want their fees to come down, and you want you've got staff that, that who want their wages to go up. And as a business person, you're squeezed in the middle. So there's a lot of pressure on uh, margin, and there's a lot of pressure on trying to make sure that everybody wins. So you want to provide a competitive price to to clients, but you also want to make a profit and you also want to be able to pay your staff a lot more than you know than anybody else can. So you're you're caught in the middle. So there's always always that pressure on on every business person that's out there. If you look at a PL of a, an accounting firm, the, you've got um, expenses and in the expenses the, the fixed overheads like the rent and you know your receptionists and your software and um, printing a station and telephone, that, that's all pretty much fixed. There's not much um, room to move in that area. The area that you can move a lot in is in your cost of goods sold. Now, I know that's not a common term for accountants to use when they when they you know run an accountancy practice, but 
I ran it like a business. So my cost of goods sold are the people that are actually charging time out, and that forms part of the, the cost of goods sold. Now, if we're to run this business and to make it profitable and to make sure that everybody wins, if you give the staff a, a pay rise without an increase in productivity, then it's effectively giving the biggest slice of the pie. And when you give the biggest slice of the pie to, to somebody else gets a smaller slice of the pie, it doesn't work. The only way it works is if you increase the size of the pie. And in this example, is it increase your, your profits. And the only way you can increase your profits is either your sales goes up or you cut your costs. And in your P&L, in the county's P&L, the, the, as I said, most of the fixed costs is, is you can't do much about. But in the cost of goods sold, you can actually do quite a lot. So if you could save some money by outsourcing, you can give that savings back to your staff. You can give it back in terms of you know better prices to your client. It's a win-win for everybody. So that's the motivation of, of doing it because you know you, you, you want to run the business efficiently so that everybody wins, so that your clients get a, a good price, your, your wages, you pay your staff you know, a, a decent wage, you can then um, you know, pay your creditors on time and, and the shareholders make a decent return on investment. So it's a win-win for everybody. And the people that you hire overseas, um, they also win because you're providing employment to them and they get paid better than they would if they found a local job. So, so I, I can't see any downsides in doing this. Um, so that's that's the main motivation uh, for for getting into it. Because if you run your business, uh, if you run it really well, then everybody wins. If you run it badly, then it creates a lot of damage across the board. The business um, property, there's a lot of damage. And um, so the motivation is all about you know uh, running it efficiently so that everybody wins. Some great advice there. So, so Ed, how did you go about getting set up, researching, finding a partner, the recruiting, the onboarding? Um, what was the process and, and the sort of timeframes that it took to get it up and running? Well, Nick, that's a good question because I started this probably about six years ago when I was pushing the, the officers to, um, you know, to, to do it. But um, we had various different challenges. Um, the first one was to find out exactly what kind of um, outsourcing was applicable because as i said earlier that there's all different types there's a, a, a there's an hourly rate one there's also um a fixed a percentage of your invoiced amount to the client so you could say if i charge the client a thousand dollars then you know you could negotiate with an outsource firm to do a 25 percent or 30 percent of that invoiced amount so we tried all of that. So over those years, we, we tried we tried the first bit, the, the, the hourly rate, and we tried the fixed pricing, and then we, we spent all this time, you know, making a lot of mistakes, and um, and then we ended up with you know hiring our own people, and it took a little while to uh, to go the full circle. Um, so it, it did take a little while. So we've we've <laughs> we've made all the mistakes and. You know, and and then tried to uh, manage everybody's expectations. So we got we had pushback from the staff as well. And to be honest, in the beginning, we didn't know how to how to manage that. But um, so it took a little while to uh, you know get everybody um, 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 embracing it. Um, there was a lot of cultural myth out there as well, which we had to um, you know address. And uh, and all that took time. Great advice there. So for someone looking to set up an offshore team, what advice would you give them to be able to implement this um, as efficiently as possible? And what would be the, the three most critical things that you would focus your time on? Okay, that's a, that's a great question, Nick, because, um, you know, having 
uh, been through the whole thing. I, I know exactly um, what kind of challenges you're going to you're going to be facing. Uh, the first one, without doubt, is just show some leadership, and you know, get in there and, and lead the team. Don't let them lead you, because that's what they'll do. They'll push back. Some of their fears are that they think that they're going to lose their job. Okay, so they'll they'll push back because they you know they 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 think it's a it's 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 the end, and and that's not true at all. Um, the, the other pushback is that um, as a, as an employee, um, you 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 go for convenience rather than a cost benefit because it doesn't come out of your pocket. So if you had the choice to 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 manage someone right next to you, uh, you'd do that over managing someone overseas. Because as I've said, the money doesn't come out of your pocket. It's much more convenient to have the person right next to you. But the difference between the person that's right next to you and the person that's overseas uh, could be forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000. Now, to give you an example, um, if you were to uh, hire a graduate and the graduate costs you $40,000 and for the next uh, five years, you were to invest your time and effort into training that person, in five or six years' time, that person's going to end up costing you around $80,000. If you hired somebody from overseas, if it costs you $24,000 today, and if you invest it five years for that person, in five or six years' time, that person might cost you $28,000 or $30,000, but it won't cost you $80,000. Now, that, that's a like a $50,000 difference. And if you had 10 of those people, that's 500 grand. That's straight to the bottom line. How much could you do with 500 grand? You could pay your staff a lot more money. You can be more competitive with your pricing. So the question is, where would you invest your time? Would you invest five years of your time with a graduate and end up cost, and end up him or her costing you $80,000? Or would you invest five or six years with an outsourced person who currently would be very experienced in terms of debits and credits and profit and loss and trial balances, but he or she may not be very experienced in, a, in, in Australian tax. So you'll need to invest time to train that person. But, but in five or six years' time, that person will only cost you around twenty-eight dollars or $30,000 compared to 80000 And that's a huge difference. Now, at this point, you might say to me, oh, well, what's going to happen to you know, all, the, all the staff in Australia? We're going we're gonna to lose them all. Um, but, but that's not... That's not true at all because um, it, it just changes the mix. Uh, what we need in Australia, uh, people, the, the kind of staff we'll be hiring in, in Australia are more plant managers with interpersonal skills and communication skills. And the grinders, if you like, in, in the context of grinding, mining and finding, um, you know, we, we would outsource those overseas. And, and we're, we're working towards around a 50-50 percentage um, moving into the future, but it, it doesn't happen um, overnight. It, it will just it will happen over many many years. Um, the, the second thing that um, you probably um, face uh, when you're doing this is um, uh, the software, the software uh, concerns. So, um, but with cloud accounting in the cloud, uh, it's making it much much easier. Um, because you, you don't need terminal service and, and the rest of it, but um, it's now making it much much easier. But you know, in in amongst all that, you've got the, the security concerns and uh, and so forth. And and I guess the last the last um, the last critical critical thing that you've got to focus your attention on is that you've got to make the the, the outsource um, people a part of your team. 
they're not a, a they're not a casual employee where you where you bring them in to just simply uh, you know, um, um, handle the the peaks of your work workflow. You, you they're, they're a part of your team. So when you're having team meetings, you you get them on Skype um, because if you don't do that, it tends to be out of sight, out of mind. But if you include them in all the meetings and everything, then they just become part of your team. And uh, and they work much much better if they're if you're working with them as part of your team. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't agree more with what you're saying. Again, so if you had a word or a phrase to describe the value that your offshore team provides, what would it be? Oh, just um, just priceless, um, Nick. Um, it, it's the way of the future. I, I just can't can't stress that enough because especially with the onset of um, technology and. Um, you know the software getting a lot more sophisticated. And I, I, I remember when I came out of uni, uh, Nick, um, many many moons ago. Um, I was told it, computers were just coming in, and I was told even back then, I think it was around seventy eight, nineteen seventy eight, that you know don't bother doing accounting because um, the computers will, will do all the work for you, and uh, there'll be all paper. There won't be any paper in the office and. And all that, and you know, the reason why that stuck in my mind was, you know, I, I was just entering in, I was just starting my career, and I was getting all this scare campaign going on, and that obviously uh, concerned me. And it, I mean, even back then, they were saying that, you know, that they were going to get rid of our returns even back then. But, but of course, uh, compliance has increased. But what has happened, though, Nick, is that over the years, um, you know the, the amount of time that you spend on doing a return actually dropped so because of software so you know when i first started you know i did it on the i, I did the trial balance on a spreadsheet and a, a, a you know a physical spreadsheet and then as they brought in you know my old desktop you know instead of spending 40 hours to do that work it, it you know dropped down to like like um 10 hours or eight hours and then with with cloud you know it's Drop down even further, and it will continue to drop down even further. So we, we've got to be, we've got to be, um, uh, we've got to be up, up, up there with the technology. And if we don't embrace the outsourcing, we're going to, we're not going to be competitive, because there'll be accountants out there like ourselves who will embrace this, and they'll be very, very competitive on the pricing, and uh, and you won't be able to compete. And uh, and, and unfortunately. Um, but you know, having said all that, Nick, uh, there's still some accountants who lodge paper tax returns, and I can't believe it. But there are still some accountants who have not, you know, have not don't use ELS or electronic lodgement. They still send in a paper tax return. So there will always be some people who uh, won't change. Yes, yeah, some people are still stuck in their ways. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. <laughs> So with the perceptions of offshoring, we've all heard the different types, but what are the main things that you've heard about um, having an offshore team and what surprised you the most? Okay, well, there's it's quite a, a, a few, but uh, I, I guess um, if I just go through some of them, um, the, the biggest one was a threat to, to Aussie jobs. Um, another one was um, your staff will lose their jobs. Uh, a third one, was around security, you know, like um, the internet. And the fourth one was that clients don't like it, you know, and they, they refuse to, uh, to to allow you to do it. And let's just start off with the last one: clients won't won't like it. Well, it's true that some clients won't like it, but you don't need to have everyone every one of your clients being outsourced. So I think we're only doing around you know maybe twenty percent 
or 10 or 15 or 20 percent of our turnover currently uh, with the outsourced work and we're obviously going to grow that um, but if if a client doesn't want it done you just say well that's fine we'll just you know do it do it locally for you and then there's a lot there'll be for every client that, that doesn't like it you'll have uh, you know 50 they'll say yeah no worries um, just just do it they just want my work done quickly and economically um, so the, the, the first lesson was don't don't think that just because one person says they don't like it that applies to everybody um, so that was the first one the second one was with the, uh, the, the second last one was the security um, look we we haven't had any problems with with security with the internet and so forth so um, you'd have to just address that as, as it occurs, but we've never had any problems with it in, in the six years that we've been doing it. Um, so I'm, I'm not too fussed. You know, the security is getting much, much more sophisticated nowadays. Um, the, the second one was uh, staff losing their jobs. Well, nobody in my firm out of the 160 people have lost their jobs. Um, so um, whilst we've grown, we've um, taken on outsourcing, yes. Um, but, you know, we... Don't want to lose. We don't want to lose our staff. Our staff are really, really good. Uh, it's an asset to our organisation, and uh, nobody's ever, you know, lost their jobs in our organisation. And the first one was a threat to Aussie jobs. Well, you know, the, Australia's always, always had an unemployment rate of around five point five percent. And you know, even when they closed up manufacturing over the years and have closed up, you know, uh, the car industry. Uh, our economy is growing and, and it gets absorbed into other industries that are growing. So I've, I've never, I've, I've, I've been here, you know, I was born here and I grew up here and all my time that I've been here in Australia, I've not seen, I've not seen um, a threat to Aussie jobs. So I, I, it's more you know, an idealism rather than a fact. Um, but um, so I, I don't have a concern. I, I think it's just going to it just adds to the quality of the jobs um, that that is being offered if we can outsource some of the lower level uh, kind of work. And uh, what we get back is the high level work. Um, that's typically the mix has changed. Um, so I, I think they'll continue in our industry as well. And and I think the other question you asked me was what what surprised me the most. Well, really what surprised me most um, about some of the myths uh, was that, you know, really intelligent people believe them and uh, and they don't see the bigger picture. And it just, you know, it just, it's just a lack of uh, leadership. I think we've got, to, we've got to lead because if you don't lead, if you don't embrace technology, if you don't embrace outsourcing, you're going to be... You know, you're gonna, you're not gonna be able to compete. And if you can't compete, you're, 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 you're threatening your, your employees' jobs, and, and, uh, and you're not being able to be competitive with your prices to your clients. So, so I, you know, I encourage everyone to, to look at the, the long term, not the short term, and uh, to embrace uh, both the technology and the outsourcing. So, Ed, the year ahead, what is the plan with your offshore team? How do you plan to keep growing your team, their capability, and ultimately their performance? Okay, um, that's a good question, Nick. Um, we, we anticipate to have around 50% of our teams offshore, but it's it's not just about throwing people at, at the problem, um, Nick. Uh, um, you, you've got to get your team a structure right. 
And in the spirit of talking about grinders, minders, and finders, we we we're going to have more minders and finders uh, local in Australia, and then the grinders will be overseas. And if you get that team structure right, that the foundation, your people foundation, if you like, um, if you get that right, you can do around five million dollars per partner versus a million dollars per partner. Typically, um, um, practices hemorrhage at about a million dollars per partner. And if it's a you know ten million dollar firm, there's around nine or ten partners. If it's a one million dollar firm, it's one partner. If it's a three million dollar firm, it's around three partners. And they tend to hemorrhage around that because of the way they run their teams. And if you don't get that team um, that that team structure right, that's what you end up doing. But we because the way we run the teams, we we can get to about five million per partner. Now, what what you get from that is is you, you become systems dependent, not people dependent. So that's much more much much more um, um, re, um, valuable if you're systems dependent rather than people dependent. Um, so moving and the, and the outsource piece is a major part of that, uh, Nick. So it's a a very important part of it. And and j- just to um, just for the guys out there, we we've we've used different types of outsourcing out there, as I said earlier, but uh, by far, uh, we've had zero, I'll say it again, zero, um, um, zero problems in terms of uh, hiring the wrong person uh, with you guys, the outsource accountants. For some reason, your recruitment system is superior to those out there that you're competing with. So I'd like to congratulate you on that, Nick, um, but uh, we're, we're the beneficiaries of that. So um, it's, it's been a win-win for both. So uh, thanks for um, whatever that you're doing to, uh, you know, recruit those good people. So Ed, I, I really love that concept that you were talking about then, the finer minders and grinders. And I know that um, you do strategy days on that. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later, um, getting the right people to do the right work and um, and how it's structured and all that. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But I want to talk about KPIs at the moment and metrics. So what KPIs mm-hmm. do you use to measure the success of your offshore team? Um, it's, it's nothing too sophisticated. It's just their timesheets, um, Nick. They, they've got to be around 85 to 90% productive. Um, so we measure their productivity just just as the traditional um, um, KPI. Um, we also um, help with they're, they're the grinders, but the miners they have a different KPI. So um, they they have um, you know a KPI that's different because they're not in production; they're more in sales. So, um, but the, I, I guess the the KPI that you're um, asking about is is the, the offshore team. And it's just your timesheets. So we run the traditional timesheets. We find that it's very good. Um, we use it both for um, you know, pricing as well as um, managing um, our teams. And if you don't have these systems in place, um, you can't manage your team. So um, we use them to as a tool to to help keep um, keep everybody on everybody in the straight and narrow. Excellent. So how has offshoring benefited your clients? Well, um, they've benefited by simply because we're, you know, we're able to provide um, cheaper prices to them. Um, you know, I've often said that I'd rather charge a client 
$3,000 and make a $1,500 margin rather than charging $5,000 and make the same $1,500 margin um, because everybody wins when, you, when you're competitive with your prices. And, you know, as I said earlier, if you can, you know, make a better margin, you can then, you know, pay your uh, local staff uh, a, a better wage. Um, so just in, just in a nutshell, I mean, it's all, it's, it's, it's about, you know, the turnaround time. It's about the pricing. It's, um, you know, we, we're able to be a lot more competitive with, uh, and it takes a lot of um, pressure off you because um, if you're paying someone, you know, $6,000 a month, you've got to make sure that they're, you know, right up on their productivity. But if you're paying them $2,000 a month, it really takes the pressure off, um, you know, off your management skills. And uh, you, can, you, can, you can ease off a little bit in terms of, um, you know, getting the, getting the whip out and making sure that everyone's productive. So it, it, it's a benefit all the way around. You know, so I, I just can't. Uh, and and you know, once upon a time when the technology wasn't there, we couldn't we couldn't take advantage of it. But because technology is there now um, with the cloud, um, we can absolutely take advantage of it, and um, everybody should. Excellent. So I know this question may not be relevant to you, but how has offshoring contributed to giving you more time personally? Has it given you any more work life balance? Um, well, I don't think this question really applies to me because I, I run the business um, and I haven't, um, I've stepped away. I've, it's, I've, I've made it run by itself now since um, 2001 and I was around 42 at the time. So I've just come back a month, every month now to see how things are going. And I, and I, I sit on the board, but, I, you know, I don't, um, my, my lifestyle hasn't uh, changed since, um, since about 2001. But what, um, outsourcing has done is it, it's it's allowed us to be a lot more profitable and um, it's allowed us to be able to find staff when you know often we couldn't find staff in in Australia um, so it's certainly made the the manager's life here who's running the practices a lot easier and uh, and will continue to do so um, but um, you know it's the outsourcing is a, is a piece in in the jigsaw puzzle. It's not the jigsaw puzzle itself, and um, and it's a very important piece in that jigsaw puzzle. Um, but but certainly, um, um, you know, I I've had the jigsaw puzzle there, and in one of that piece, which is the the people piece, if you like, that's uh, been been improved and helped by the outsourced uh, solution. So, Dilna, I suppose I'm fascinated with the fact that you actually have um, semi-retired from your practice at such a young age. It's probably, I suppose, the dream for the majority of firms. And how has that been? How were you able to achieve that? Because a lot of accountants get um, that we see in firms that we work with across the globe, the principal is so dependent. The business is so dependent on the principal or or the face of the business. Now, you're um, name is all over your business across the country. So how have you been able to extract yourself out of the business to be able to only come back and do the board meetings and, and mentoring and coaching and things that you um, choose to do as opposed to have to do? Yeah, that's a great, great question, uh, Nick. Um, I, I guess I, I start with the end in mind. I, I looked at uh, what I wanted 
uh, what I wanted my life to be and my lifestyle to be. And uh, I went to work every day to achieve that. And I achieved that by the time I was 42. And, um, and, and, and it just involves, you know, the concept of grinders, minders and finders, people in the right seat in the right bus. Um, and I've learned uh, very early on that, that the majority of people just want their work done and they want it done well. And um, they don't necessarily want me to do it. And, um, and as long as they got it done, you know, the way that they, they anticipated, then that's, that's what they, they got. And um, sure, a handful of clients only wanted me to do it, but I had to let those go because, you know, they, were, they, were, they, they kept me a prisoner in my business and I didn't want to be a prisoner in my business. And uh, they also stopped me from being able to um, scale the business. Um, so it was just a combination of getting the system right. The people piece is just so important, you know, out of everything that we do. If you get the people piece correct, and um, and you know, and and that's a work in progress, a constant work in progress, because people come and people go. But you've got to start with that team, that that that, that team structure. You've got to have that the right team structure, uh, the blend between the grinder and the minder, and uh, and you build that team. And and I, you mentioned earlier that I, I do a bit of coaching and mentoring for some firms because. Um, um, I, I've got plenty of time up my sleeve nowadays, and um, which is my way of giving back. And just through word of mouth, um, a few, quite a few firms have asked me to help. And it's the same thing. I just build that that team structure for them. We start off with the org board, um, and then we build the team, um, and then that, and then we then go out and we recruit the right people for the right seat and the right bus. And and and. And it's got to be like that. It can't be the other way around. You just you don't just go and hire people, because often you end up, you know, hiring the wrong people. And uh, and you know, often when I you know when I go into to firms and I help them, um, you know, we we put the capacity calculator across their teams, and often they're two or three hundred thousand dollars over capacity, which means that they're not making any money. And often I'd say to them, how do you determine uh, when you should hire somebody, and um, I'm often surprised when they say to me, "Oh, when everybody starts whinging about how much work they've got," and and I said, "Yeah, but they they, they only whinge when the when you hit a, you hit a spike in your workflow, and when that when it comes back again, and it always does, it goes in cycles. They won't complain, and then you'll be overstaffed, and and they shrug their shoulders at me, and you know, and say, you know, agree, but they just don't have an answer. So, you know, so it, it is a structured um, deliberate, um, um, you know, a way of designing your lifestyle, if you like, and that's what I did. I designed my lifestyle, and I went to work every day not to do a tax return, but to, you know, to um, to to build that lifestyle that I wanted to have, and and the income that I needed to to live on that lifestyle, and and it it worked. And um, and I've learned a lot, and I've, I'm just sharing a lot of that now with um, a lot of people um, who've been asking me to help them, and uh, and it's been great. Yeah, I think look, there's so many lessons alone just in that part 
um, that, that the listeners and firms can learn from. And, and I'll, um, we'll certainly put your details on that um, in, the, in the show notes for firms to be able to reach out to you and chat more because, like I said, we could we could chat all day about that um, topic alone, just the, the getting the right people strategy. And it's something that when I speak, and I speak at a lot of events around the world now, um, you know, I speak to a lot of accounting firms and the question I always ask them is, what is your people strategy? And it's almost a blank face um, nine out of 10 times. And, and we're talking, you know, second tier firms right down to sole practitioners. It, it surprises me that people don't have this right. Um, and the one thing that I remember chatting to you a couple of months ago, and the thing that um, surprised me but didn't is that um, your comment around a lot of firms are actually overstaffed when they think they're understaffed. Um, and it's only because the yeah. staff are making so much noise about being busy. Yeah, that's right. So, that's right. Yeah. And, and the opposite can happen. The opposite can happen as well. You, you could be working the staff so hard because you're so understaffed that, uh, <coughs> that um, you know, you're working and you're, and, you're, and you're scaring them away and you're pushing them away uh, because you're not being efficient. And um, uh, with, with what you do, often I can increase the productivity of a firm like that by around 30% by just restructuring their, their, their people strategy and the, the, their team structure. And with the existing team, as, as long as they've got the right people, then I just put them in the right seat in the right bus. And, and what you get is one plus one is five. You get the synergy that occurs when you, compl- you bring complementary skills into the team. And often people say to me, I wish I could find someone just like me, but that's the wrong way to look at it. You, you've got to find someone that will complement you and not be the same as you. And, um, and that's where a lot of people um, misunderstand. They think that they, they want to have someone just like them, and, and that's not, not, the, not the way forward at all. Yeah, I mean, look, there's so many bits in that. There's so much great advice there. But I'm going to go back um, and pivot back a little bit. So how has mm-hmm. offshoring... Um, had an effect on the profit to the firm or the average hourly rate, if that's how you um, record things? Yeah, I mean, you know, just just if you look at our bookkeeping business, if you like, um, you know, bookkeepers around here charge around $80 an hour and we're able to charge $40 an hour and still make a great return uh, because, you know, you can get a bookkeeper for about $8 an hour so the margin between eight dollars and forty dollars is is huge. It's uh it's very very profitable, and uh, we couldn't have done that without outsourcing and without technology. Uh, you put the two together, and it's just you know it's just magic, and uh, it's opened up a whole new area for us. Um, um, and um, it's just going to get better and better. Excellent. So I'm going to ask a bit more of some personal questions now, and, and I'm not sure whether these are going to be relevant for you, but what one bit of advice would you give your younger self from a business point of view? Uh, well, I, I guess right up to age 42, you know, I was just, you know, making a lot of mistakes, uh, trial and error, um, all, all that kind of thing. I, I guess I'd I wish I had a, a someone who was a mentor like myself, and if I could have used a mentor, someone that had done it, and um, just it would, it would, it would, I would have achieved this lot younger than the 42. Um, but I, I went through all the, the mistakes, and you know, it cost thousands, tens, and hundreds of thousands, in fact. Um, but if someone had done it, then they could show me how to do it, even to the point of when I was, you know, straight out of uni. I was um, I was I was moving from job to job because I I, I wasn't happy 
and um, I thought it was the job I was at, so I moved. But I really needed a leader in the organisation to explain to me that, you know, Ed, you're not a grinder, you're more of a minder, finder. And however, you've got to do your apprenticeship, if you like. You've got to go through the grinding to get the to get the knowledge before you could manage. And if he'd sat me down and explained that to me and showed me some leadership, um, I wouldn't have been so, um, you know, I was very unhappy because um, I was in the wrong seat and I didn't know I was in the wrong seat. And so I moved from job to job thinking that it was a job that was the problem, but all it was was I was in the wrong seat. And finally I found the management role and I stayed there for many, many years. I was very happy. But, you know, I, I just needed the, the owners or the leaders of the organisation to lead. And, but they didn't know how to lead because their own practice was completely disorganized, let alone trying to help me. Um, so uh, as a younger self, I, I, you know, I, I wish I'd had found a mentor that could uh, cut to the chase for me. And then when I started my business, it was the same. I, I, um, you know, I, there's no one out there that's actually done what I've done in terms of creating a business that works without me and then and then offering their services to other firms to achieve the same thing. Most most coaches out there work in the P&L, and not many of them work in the balance sheet. Uh, and what I mean by that is um, you know, they try to get a, a really high hourly rate uh, for you, but they don't invest anything into their balance sheet. And I, I call that, um, you know, when you, when you get a return on investment, it's um, like a property, for example, there's capital growth, and that's like that sort of invisible return, and then there's there's, there's visible return, which is your P and L, and we will focus on the visible return. We don't focus on the invisible return, which is your investment. And um, you know, and, and and luckily, I I recognise that, and um, you know, I, I put a lot of investment into um, into uh, systems and and training uh, training of people, hiring the right people and not doing the work yourself, which is all P&L stuff. And if you do the work yourself, which is P&L stuff, when you turn 65, you're still doing it. When you work in the balance sheet, when you're 65, somebody else is doing doing the, the work for you and paying you a dividend. And that's what's happened to me. And I achieved that when I was 42, uh, because I, I focused the balance between the P&L and the balance sheet and not just all on the P&L. I'm not sure if that no. all makes sense, but... <laughs> yeah, no, it does. I love that advice. I love it. So for someone looking to grow their business or their team, what's the best piece of advice that you've ever heard um, and, and implemented that you could pass on? Um, I guess um, it's not just about throwing bodies at, you know, at, at your problem. And, um, and let, let me just ex explain... Um, when you run a practice, you, you've got to manage the traffic flow. The, the, the traffic flow is either low-level traffic or high-level traffic. And, um, and and it's also broken down into a communication type of traffic and uh, work, um, you know, grinding kind of traffic, doing the work. And if you don't manage that traffic and it all comes back and hits the partner, the partner drowns. So... Just look, let's look at the communication piece. So communication is things like, um, you know, emails, uh, meetings, phone calls, uh, that, that kind of stuff. And, um, and there are high level um, ones and there's low level. So the low level ones stuff are, are things like, um, um, you know, what, what's, um, what's the difference between leasing and high purchase or 
you know, what are all the, the, the kind of tax deductions I can get as an individual tax return? And, um, you know, what's a, what's a, how do you do a BAS return, for example, or the bookkeeping? So that's all sort of low level traffic. And then the high level traffic is things like, you know, strategy and tax planning and, and buying a business and structures and, and that. And you, you've got to be able to manage that that uh, efficiently. So the low level traffic should go to a, somebody who's on a low lower cost to the organization. And that leaves the partner to deal with the high level traffic. And then on the other side, where the, where the production is, you also have low level traffic and high level traffic. And and the low level traffic is things like, you know, preparing I returns and basses and bookkeeping and so forth. And the high level traffic is doing, you know, doing a reviewing and checking and tax planning and that. And if you don't, if you don't create the right structure for the workflow and you create a blockage down that line of productivity, then the water, if you like, I'll use this example as a water in a drain. If there's a blockage in the drain, it comes back and hits you in the face. So the poor old partner is getting hit in the face from production on one end and then he's getting, he or she's getting hit on the communication side on the other end because he or she's not managing that traffic flow effectively. So. My, my advice to to uh, someone is to um, you know look at that, look at how you can manage that, and understand that everybody's different. So the people who do the production are not the same people who do the communications. They're two they're two different animals, if you like, and you can't bring the two together. It doesn't work. And the people who are production orientated, they they just do production work and you keep them just in the production side. And then the people who do the communication piece, they will do the communication piece and they're the only ones that speak to the clients. But they work together as a team. So you get these complementary skills working together. And what you end up with, um, you know, you, you end up with, with a great flow and efficiency through the organization. You, get, you end up with quicker turnaround times for the clients. You end up with happier clients, happier staff. Um, you know, more more efficiencies. You, ha- you end up with more profits and higher wages to your staff, and you know, and then lower fees to your clients, so you can be more competitive. And uh, and it, and it's all to do with you know um, managing your business and managing that traffic flow. Um, so I, I guess um, and it's not. I guess it's, I, I can't explain all that in in one sort of webinar, but um, but we do. Um, you know, in in on the first of October, Wise Mentoring is launching, and um, with it's a it's an online um, support, and we've got all these tools on there, like the the capacity planner, the org board. Um, it's all by video, so I can explain all this to you, and uh, and that's all launching on the first of October. I've got together with Jamie Johns, and we and there's an 18 step process to to run your accountancy practice and. And one of the major pieces in there is the outsourced accountant is the outsourced piece, and and uh, and and it's a it's a you know it's it's all it, it's not just a knee jerk you know one piece of the jigsaw puzzle. It's the whole puzzle. It's the whole puzzle with the pieces in the right in the right place, and uh, and and the, the the result of that is um, is you know the lifestyle that I've got, and, um, and it can be achieved. It's it's um, you, you don't build a business around yourself. That's the and otherwise you'll be a prisoner in that business and you won't be able to step away from it. And it requires leadership. So part of it is you know, leadership. So when a client says to you, I only want you to do my work, right? You've got to realize that, you know, only a handful of people say that. And um, 
And but the problem is we think that just because one or two people say that, we think that everybody says that. But um, part of it is that. Part of it is you now how do you get this, the clients to deal with the team? Um, so it, it's all in that. It's all in that program, uh, which is starting on the first of October. It's called Wise Mentoring. Um, so to, to, for those who, who need help in that area, um, you know, um, have a look at that. That that would be very helpful to you. Excellent. Thanks, Ed, so much for your time today. There's so much value in what we've covered off today. Um, it's been one of the most insightful podcast interviews I've done. So we'll certainly put um, the details of Wise Mentoring and you in the show notes so that any of our listeners can um, reach out to you. But um, once again, big thank you for all of um, the value that you've been able to add today to our listeners and, and hopefully they'll be able to take something away. And one thing I will say to the listeners, if you don't implement anything nothing changes so make sure that you don't just listen but you actually implement so once again thanks ed for today um, and really look forward to chatting again in the near future yeah thanks for having me uh nick and uh i'll be looking forward to um you know being part of your um your, your other webinars thank, thanks a lot no worries thanks ed thank you thank you cool that was um that was good right. ed. thank you so much for that to follow our podcast and get insights from leading accountants, simply visit theoutsourcedaccountant.com or visit iTunes or SourCloud and head to the Offshore Accountant Podcast. To connect with me personally, just look for my Twitter handle at Nick Q Sinclair or find me on LinkedIn at Nick Sinclair. Thanks and have a great day.